Begin and end every great trip with Diamond Airport Parking. Diamond offers car to curb service, 24-7 airport shuttles, fantastic rates, complimentary bottled water, plus no one beats the friendly staff. Diamond Airport Parking, just off I-80 and Redwood Road. Park, ride, and save. That's Diamond Airport Parking. Get a lot more feedback from people on what they want to watch tonight. What are you going to do? There is so much going on. World Series Game 2, RSL second playoff game, and the Jazz play the first of 82. Plus, BYU stuff on BYU TV all in the Eastern Time Zone. Listed in the Eastern Time Zone, so you need to be aware. Don't wait till 9 o'clock because it'll be over then. Terry says, this is a tough one. I loosely follow the Astros. I spent a lot of time in Houston. I'll definitely start with baseball at 6 o'clock. See how it goes. Switch to the Jazz. See how that goes. And at the very least, I'll end with RSL. I suspect I'll prioritize RSL, but eh. Well, why wouldn't you, man? It's soccer. Hector, you lost me at soccer. The Jazz are back. Uh, see, our next guest, I mean, it's a waste to talk to him tonight about football because he's going to be watching soccer through and through. That seems unlikely. I bet. DJ and PK, time to bring in our college football insider, Riley Jensen. Riley, good morning. Hey, what's up, guys? Watching the game tonight with Ethan Tanner Sterling. So if you guys want to come join us. <laughs> what do you think of soccer, Riley? <laughs> I love soccer. Clearly. I love soccer. I'm, Clearly. A, I'm a big fan. I'm, I'm going to check the Alta High roster right now and see how many Ether, Ethans and Tanners and Sterlings you have <laughs> on your football team. i got a future quarterback named Ethan coming up, so I, I guess I should be careful. How about a center back? What's his name that's coming up? The center back? Yeah. Uh, it, it's Sterling Polson. No, wait. <laughs> Sterling. <laughs> Making fun of Channel 2 yeah, weather people now. That's uh, Sorry. Sorry. I bet he played. I bet he played a mean. I bet he was a great soccer player. Great soccer player. Let's start you off with something completely different today. <laughs> Instead of the Utes, the Cougars, and the Aggies, which is uh, okay. why you're you're normally what you're normally here uh, talking about. Uh, Josh yeah. Davis just ran for 328 yards and four touchdowns. He's an Alta High guy. And whenever somebody does something like this in the big sky, I think people wonder why they aren't in the Mountain West. And if someone does it in the Mountain West, why aren't they in the Pac-12? All that goes on. But his recruiting, it always fascinates PK and I because we don't follow it as closely as some people. I mean, some people make it their full-time gig. And coaches obviously miss on guys. If you're running for 328 yards at Weber State on a really good Big Sky team, did someone miss on him? Should he be playing at a different level? Oh. What happened in his recruiting? Because you you're an assistant coach at Alta High among the many hats you wear. So as the yeah. offensive coordinator, what happened? Well, he's, he's one of the reasons that I asked the head coach at Alta not to have coaches talk to me anymore because I was so frustrated with his recruiting. Um. No doubt they missed. There's two Division One coaches um, in state that have admitted that they missed on him. Didn't Navy and, recruit him? Didn't Navy recruit him? Yeah, and and I think that that was the next point that I was going to get to is I think sometimes when kids get labeled as a smart kid, they get pigeonholed into okay, so he's an Ivy League kid or he's Army, Navy, Air Force, and he yeah. was offered by Army, Navy, and Air Force. Um, you know, I don't know the ins and outs as to why he didn't choose to do that, other than I know that his dad was a Marine, and so I think much of his life had been like living like a Marine. <laughs> so, um, my my thoughts are that he just wanted to go and play football. He didn't want it to be, you know, military as well. But I, I was so frustrated. I I had a chance to 
coach Stanley Havili. I had a, a chance to coach E.C. Sofele. Both of those guys started in the Pac-10. I guess it was the Pac-10 back then, Pac-12. And he's every bit as good as those guys. And in some in some ways, I can make an argument that he was better. In some ways, I can make arguments that those guys were better. Um, could catch the ball out of the backfield. I mean, for two years in a row, he rushed for 2,000 yards. And two years in a row, he had over 500 yards receiving. It was it was ridiculous. Being an offensive coordinator with Josh Davis was like playing you know video games. It, every game was like, oh, he didn't have 200 yards rushing. Man, they really slowed him down. <laughs> you know, so, none of what's going on at Weber surprises me. He's a great kid. He's an unbelievable running back, and I'm I'm really surprised. I mean, he was freshman of the year last year. He was All-American last year, third team, I think. And he's right back on path to, to have another phenomenal year this year. All right, so I'll ask the obvious question. He's a running back and he was white. How much did that play against him? <laughs> well, I, I Come do on. think... Let's be honest. Let's be open here. Real conversation. There, I do think that there are mistakes made in recruiting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Eric Weddle talked about it. I mean, and our listeners are thinking it. So, come on, it's got to be asked. Doesn't mean everyone's a racist or anything like that, but it's it's real. It's real issue. Nothing wrong with addressing it. I I, I would I would say this. He he plays in a predominantly African American position. That's all I would say. All right, Utes, Cougars. Hey, don't try to put the squeeze on me. I'm not trying to put the squeeze on anybody, man. It's just real. No, it's not. It's it's not uncomfortable. The more the more we have these types of discussions, the better off we all are. No one's pointing fingers at anybody. I'm not labeling anybody. We're just addressing issues. It's hard to get recruited as a white running back. I will say that. How much were you stunned that the Cougars took down the Broncos? Stunned. Absolutely stunned. Um, you know, I, I don't know I don't know how you can be a BYU fan on this kind of roller coaster all the time. This is just like it's like the high of highs, lows of lows. <clears throat> um, you know, I think I think David Locke used to label BYU as barometer university. I don't know if it is anymore, right? Like Usually it was if BYU beat you, you weren't a very good team. And if you beat BYU, you were a pretty good team. <clears throat> and I don't I don't think BYU fan liked that label, but I don't even know what to label them now. I mean, two top 25 wins, two losses to Toledo and USF, they're just head scratchers. And maybe you have to start wondering if this is a whole function of, you know, they get up for the big games, they don't get up for the, the smaller games. And, and so it's... I have no idea what to think. I thought they played fantastic football. Um, I'm wondering a little bit to myself if, because there was hardly any RPOs, um, run pass options in the game on Saturday night, maybe one or two. And I'm wondering if that just makes people feel a little bit more comfortable in the BYU offense. They, they know The running back knows if he's being handed the ball quarterback knows if he's throwing or if he's handing off the ball and maybe it just made them play a little bit better football i don't know i i'm still scratching my head on that one and then still in the fourth quarter they didn't play well and and kind of sneaked out of there with a win so i i have no idea what to tell you 
Um, you know, I heard the promotion this week from Scotty G and Hans talking about, you know, this win doesn't mean a lot unless, you know, you follow it up with some wins, which which I think is true. But, God, you know, the, the win against USC and the win against Boise, those are big wins. And it, and it shows you that they have the talent, that they have the ability to be a lot better than what they are or what their record shows right now. Yeah, there's no question about that. Now, I mean, now we know for sure they had a nice win, and then they, it took a while, but they backed it up, and now they got enough games to go forward to make something out of this season and erase some of the disappointment that they've had. The thing for me, and I've been saying it the whole time here, is that the passion in which they played, you could just virtually see something that isn't visible, and so they've got to find a way. As a coach, and you've been there, you've been there as a player and as a coach, how do you channel that to make sure that is on display and it is ready to go when they get to Logan. Well, I think Logan will be a little bit easier. There's, you know, they obviously, Utah State obviously has BYU's attention. The last two games Utah State has won. This is up in Logan. I think it's going to be a little bit easier to get up for this game than it will be for, you know, UMass, Idaho State, and I don't even know who else is left on the schedule. San Diego State, I think. Liberty, that's right, that's right. So you've got some <coughs> – I, I don't think they're going to have a hard time getting up for this game um, because there's some revenge factor and there's some different things going on. But I do I do think that the hardest thing to do as a coach is to keep, you know, 105 guys motivated and on the same page every single week. It's just a lot of moving parts. It's a lot of different people, um, you know so, – at different times of the year, there's a quarter of the team that's mad at you. There's a half of the team that's mad at you. There's not a Division One player that's worth their salt that doesn't think they should be playing. And so, it's just hard to keep. It's hard to keep that big of a group happy. And so, the guys who have established the culture and the guys who have established winning and the way that winning is done are, are really impressive to me. Uh, that's why, you know. Kyle Whittingham is impressive to me. Chris Peterson is impressive. I think Bronco Mendenhall in a lot of ways is impressive because you know when you go into those programs and when you when you go in that you know exactly what's expected of you and you understand what the culture is when you get there. And I think that's hard to do. And so when you get a great coach, it's because they understand culture and they're able. There, there's not a coach in the country that I couldn't go and sit with and be really, really excited about doing the X's and O's for an hour, an hour and a half with them. I mean, I could sit down with Kalani, and I, I could draw something out and say, okay, so how do you adjust to this? What would you do to this? How do you cover this play? What do you think about this play? What's your And all head coaches across the country would be fun to do that with. But the coaches that are the great coaches are the ones that have established a great culture. And it doesn't matter what offense they run or what defense they run. The players come in and they know what's expected of them. They play well. So the Utes beat Arizona State, but Tyler Huntley threw a pick. Could have thrown a couple more. It was his first pick of the year. Did ASU do something different? Do you put it on the weather? What do you think going forward? Especially with another good defense coming in. I. I think he finally made a bad read, <laughs> to be honest with you. I don't think it was the weather. I think when you saw him throwing his little tantrum after, he was mad because he knew he made the wrong read. And it was a it was a simple pass concept. The only way that I can explain this one away for Tyler is that it's such a simple pass concept that you run it even in Little League, 
he's thrown that pass a bajillion times for completion that maybe he just got a little bit lazy on his focus. That's the only thing I can think of. Um, and he was he was definitely you know he was he was upset with himself for that throw. I I still think he's just playing an incredibly high level of football. I mean, you're talking about one interception, a nine to one average. He has 180.6 rating. 1,564 yards, 74% completions. Yeah, it's only 223 yards a game, but that's what they're asking him to do. And so I I still thought it was a great game, especially in bad weather, especially in bad weather. If need be, do you think that they can win games with their backup quarterbacks? That was a little bit interesting to watch, right? Yes, I think they can win games. No, I don't think they can win games against the upper tier of the Pac-12. I think they need Tyler Huntley healthy to beat the upper tier and the upper class of the Pac-12. And so, um, yes, if need be, there could be some games that they could skate by. Like, I I think no matter what happens this week, they're going to win the game. I don't care who the quarterback is. I don't care who the running back is. They're going to beat Cal. But I... But, you know, when you're talking about, you know, Oregon, you're talking about Washington, you're talking about USC, those those games would be tough to win. Now, they don't have to play USC this year, but again, but it's um, it's it's it definitely felt a little bit different when the backup came into the game this last week. So have you ever had an injury like that? It, it looked kind of weird, and they haven't said exactly what it is. There's been plenty of speculation but to have a guy roll across the back of your legs and you reach back towards your leg grab your calf although some people say knee and some people say ankle but have you ever had anything like that where you kind of know because you've been through it yes so um there there were there's two different injuries well injuries that i've had or thought i was going to have one was I had a guy that was rolling across my knee straight forward, and I had a guy pushing me forward, and I was in kind of a big scrum after I'd thrown the ball. And I could feel my knee just about ready to blow out. I was ready, I was ready for it to blow out. And I had a knee brace on that thing, and for some reason it didn't blow, but it, it scared. I, I think sometimes you get one of those injuries, and it scares you because I heard my knee starting to, like, give out. And then I came to the sideline, and I'm like, oh, this isn't as bad as I thought it was, right? And then you start going through it, and they're like, yeah, you're not loose. You're fine. And then you come in three, four plays later, and you're okay. I think there's sometimes where you get in a situation where, for for all intents and purposes, like, it should have been a bad injury, and it wasn't. And it's just like, in your mind, you're like, how did that not happen? How did that not happen? And so hopefully it's one of those. There is a couple of times here and there when you're playing, though, where you take a good hit. Or, or for example, like when you get a stinger in football, it feels like, you know, it feels like it's over for the season. And then, you know, five minutes later, you're fine. So there's, there's different injuries that happen that just kind of are like a little bit shocking to the system, and then you're fine. And my guess is, is it was a knee or it was an ankle, and he thought that it was going to be a lot worse than it was, and then he was like, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm fine. And I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know him. I don't know the doctors. I don't know what's going on there. But there are times in football where it just seems like you should have been really hurt, and you weren't. It doesn't appear that Jordan Love is having as good a season as he had last year. So do you agree with that? And if you do, why? 
Well, I I took the time Saturday night to really watch, and I really wanted to take like a, a deep look at what. I, and in my opinion, and they were talking about it on TV. They're like, "Look, there's big time NFL guys. There's scouts coming through every single week." I think he's pressing a little bit. Everything that I can see is that he is not just letting the game come into him. He's pressing really hard to be really good. And that is not a recipe for, like, your best football. And, you know, not to go, you know, sports psychology consultant on everybody, but there's kind of a yin and a yang to performance in the sense that you have to have a certain amount of focus. If you're not focused at all, you're not going to play well. you got to be, like, hyper-focused and driven and, like, dialed in and ready to go. <clears throat> and usually Division One athletes don't miss on that part. The part that they miss on is the relaxed part, the letting the game come to you, letting yourself be a little bit, almost feel flimsy in your throw and just open and relaxed in your throw. And, and the combination of that focus and that, that mindfulness or that relaxation point is where you're going to get your best performances. And I feel like he's all focus and hardly any relaxation, mindfulness, and um, flow type right now. And he's got to just go out and play for his teammates, play for himself, because I felt like the whole game it was really, really tight. And I just didn't feel like it was the same Jordan Love as last year. Last year, And I feel like it's he's, he's pressing a little bit. And... Um, I'd like to see him just kind of relax, get himself a couple completions, and then kind of like forget all the hype, forget everything that was going on. He's still going to be a high draft pick. There's still going to be people that want to take a chance on him because of his size and his ability to throw the ball at different angles and do some different things. But right now, he's got to play a little bit better, and I think it's because he's pressing, not because he's not talented, not because he can't make big-time throws. And then I think the second part to that, and I went a little too far on that, is is there's been some drops and there's some different things. And we've talked about this before. When you have drops, all of a sudden you're feeling like you have to put it right on a face mask and throw what I call a catch it or wear it ball. And that also makes you press a little bit because these wide receivers seem to have a smaller catching radius than last year. And so it just makes you a little bit more focused on the glove and you know, we've talked about this PK where you, you know, where you're talking about being a shortstop, and because your first baseman could catch anything, all of a sudden that made you more accurate yeah. throwing the ball to first base. It's, it's the same type of thing going on with some of the drops. And there's been some key drops where he's made some good throws and drives get killed because of drops. And then you start pressing because you're like, man, I got to throw it perfect to this guy. I got to throw it perfect or else he's not going to catch it. And so I think he's pressing that way a little bit too. So Gary Anderson comes on every week, and he was telling us one of his concerns going in the Air Force game, where obviously you want to possess the ball and give your defense a chance to rest before they get out and face that option offense that can grind its way down the field. But he was talking about how 15 of the last 17 Aggie drives have been two minutes or less. But mixed in there are a seven-play touchdown drive, an eight-play drive that went 57 yards and ended in a field goal. But they were still only like a minute 40, a minute 50 seconds. Do they need to get away from the hurry up and slow things down? Because an eight-play drive can be a four-minute drive. There's nothing wrong with a seven-play touchdown drive. It can eat up three or four minutes. Yeah, so they, they've been very fast this year. I, and I don't know. I mean, I remember the LSU coach talking about that they're getting it off faster than anybody's ever seen. I think this is my own personal opinion. This isn't 
you know, this isn't a criticism of the way Utah State's doing it, but I like it better when you're when you're throwing a quick offense against somebody almost like a pitcher would. So you're mixing it in. If you're throwing nothing but fastballs, then then teams get used to it. They start playing with pace, and they know what to do. But if maybe you do it every time you get a first down, you come up with a really, really quick play to get yourself a cheap four yards or five yards on first down, or you mix it up on the drives. Like, okay, this drive we're going to go no huddle. We're really going to come after them, and the next drive we're going to go, we're going to huddle it up. Or if you just kind of got to mix up the pitches, if you will, on the speed because I think players start adjusting, you know, and then as soon as you still feel like they're adjusting to your fast pace, then you slow it down a little bit. And then as soon as they get used to your slow pace, then you start going on a quick pace on first down. And I think keeping people off balance that way seems to be a little bit more effective to me than just doing one or all of the same all the time. And and I think they have enough in right now where they can go fast as they want that if they needed to, they could use that. But it wouldn't hurt them every once in a while to slow it down or to and, – and I think the, the other opinion that I have about the huddle offense is versus no huddle is I think sometimes when you're no huddle, it takes leadership out of the field, meaning this – there are some special times and some special places that take place in the huddle in football. And I think sometimes it's really important for Jordan Love to be able to calm the guys down or whoever their offensive leader is, if it's a running back or one of the offensive linemen or a tight end, to say, hey, guys, don't worry about this. One play at a time, we got this, right, in a huddle, away from the coaches, away from everything else. That can be super, super that can be a powerful moment for teams. And I think sometimes no huddle takes that away because it's so focused on go, 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 that you forget about the leadership that takes place, about the team portion that takes place. And so I wouldn't mind if they mixed it up a little bit more than what they're doing right now. Here's our college football insider, Riley Jensen, joining us. You got the Utes winning this week and Utah State winning at Air Force? God, they're, they're not favored. Is that right? Are they still not favored? I, the initial line, I saw that they weren't favored. Um, I think Utah State will pull it out, but this is going to be a really close game, and partially because they're not scoring on all those two-minute drives. If they were scoring on all those two-minute drives, I'd say, oh, Utah State, no problem. But they've got to figure out a way um, to to not go three and out. There was a lot of three and outs against Nevada, even though they dominated that game in a lot of ways. And that's what makes me nervous about this offense right now. They've got to they've got to do a better job of putting together some drives and maybe, like you said, putting them into a huddle and extending those seven, eight play drives a little bit. Appreciate it, Riley. Thanks as always. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, you guys. I appreciate it.